Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. really fast. Um, Thank you so much for being here um, and for including these conversations in the conversations of your day. I am so grateful and thankful for you. It just, I'm still like awed um, that we have the privilege of doing this together each and every morning. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Oral arguments are going to be heard today at the United States Supreme Court. They are going to be carried on live television. We discussed this earlier in the week, I think, with um, either Adam Carrington or Mark Caleb Smith or maybe both, because this is a topic of conversation everybody wants in on. So these um, pro-life arguments uh, are going to be, you know, it's it's an opportunity, frankly, for the Supreme Court justices to reconsider the January 1973 decision of the Supreme Court in the case of Roe v. Wade and a subsequent case known as Casey, those cases have really paved the way for more than 50 million. And that's a conservative number because that's the number from like 2018. Um, Something like by now, millions more than that. So take in that number for just a moment, 50 million abortions in America. So as You have opportunity to listen today either directly to the oral arguments that are being made at the high court, or maybe you're just going to hear reporting on those oral arguments. Let me invite you as a Christian to keep a few facts in the forefront of your mind, front and center in our hearts and minds. First, that God is the creator, God is the giver of life, and that every human being conceived, every human being conceived is first conceived in the heart of God. He is the one who creates and gives that life. We are not autonomous when it comes to the life of another person. And that is another person. So people are a sacred trust and each one is precious to God. And that is in that is please do not hear in that if you are a woman who has had an abortion, um please do not hear that as a as a condemnation that is unrecoverable because no sin is beyond the scope of the redemptive work of God and his grace in Jesus Christ. But sin is real, and we have to address it. And life is real, and we have to recognize it. So here's a few facts to know as you are listening um, to either to oral arguments or to the coverage of the oral arguments. In the United States, less than 1% of abortions occur because of rape or incest. Um, Abortion in America is what I will describe as deeply and systemically racist. It's deeply and systemically racist. More African-American babies have been killed by abortion since 1973 than the total number of African-American deaths from violent crime, accidents, cancer, heart disease, and AIDS combined. Combined. Since 1973, abortion has reduced the African-American population in the share of the United States by more than 25 percent. That's systemic racism. And the system is the abortion industry. Abortion in America 
um, also systemically targets children with special needs. In the United States, over 90% of children who are diagnosed with Down syndrome are aborted. And the abortion industry is a huge moneymaker. In the United States, the abortion industry grosses nearly a billion dollars a year. Doing what? Killing babies, traumatizing women, literally destroying the familial fabric of our social order. So if you want to know what's on trial before the Supreme Court, the abortion industry is on trial. And I am praying that justice will be done for women, for children, for the church, for the nation, for our worldwide public witness. Because in addition to abortions here at home, abortion is now something we export to the rest of the world. And under the current administration, we now tie access to U.S. foreign aid to a nation's willingness to accept abortion services. That's what's on trial at the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm going to have a conversation with Bill English up next. Um, How are you responding to not only just violence in the culture writ large, but specifically like the smash and grab that has become seemingly um, the way that some people are getting their Christmas gifts? Mm -hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Bill English is back. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. You can also find him on Twitter at BibleBusiness. Bill, good morning. Good morning. How are you I feel like today? It's, I feel like it's been a month of Sundays since we talked. I don't really know how long it's been, but I feel like it's been a while. It's been a minute. Well, it has been a month because, you know, I'm on every other week now. And the last two weeks ago, I was I was sick and I couldn't well, come glad and join you. We're glad you're well. We're glad you're yeah, well. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's talk about um, let's talk about theft. Let's talk about stealing. Let's talk about what's going on in the culture. Um, it is it is not legit to uh, target a store, get together with your pals, bring some hammers, smash uh, things open, and take what you want. Um, that does not sound like the rule of all of law at all. So, um, what's going on in what I would describe as this new trend? Well, this isn't just a, a few high school kids out for some laughs. Uh, this is organized crime. That's what this has become, at least out in San Francisco. And I think it's going to spread throughout the country. We saw that happen, uh, some of these smash and grabs here in uh, Minneapolis um, over the um, over the last weekend. Look, what what's happening is that organized crime is realizing that they can uh, send young people, basically young guys who are pretty athletic, into the stores to steal a bunch of the high-end goods that are very expensive. And uh, at least in California, if they steal under $950, um, it's a misdemeanor and no one's going to prosecute. Police aren't going to um, uh, take a look at that. And so they go in and they take a bunch of stuff and then they sell it to organized fences. So there's actually What's an organized fence? A fence is somebody who buys stolen goods and then they turn around and sell it to the end and buyer, so to speak. Hmm. They're really a middleman, and it's a way to launder uh, goods and uh, money and and, uh, and goods in the uh, supply chain of theft, if I can put it that way. 
And uh, and so these organized fences um, put a markup on them. So let's say that you steal a purse that's worth uh, 900 bucks and you sell it to the fence for, you know, 300 and the fence turns around, and sells it to the end and buyer for 600. And the fences are putting this online under legit uh, online businesses. And so they're selling. That's that's kind of how, how how the money flows. Um in a, in a raw business sense, Carmen, if you can uh, get your inventory at no cost and then sell it for near market rates, that's not a bad business model. The problem is it's illegal and it's immoral and it's uh, really starting to harm. Uh, it's really already harmed San Francisco and it's going to harm the rest of the country. Yeah, the um, the availability of luxury goods online at non-luxury prices. Yeah, that ought to be an indication to you. And as a Christian um, you don't want to participate in this as, you know, as a person who found a good deal online on a brand new luxury item, because that brand new luxury item, um, if it's not sold to you by the manufacturer or from a legitimate business, and, and you know, if it's a third party, in it, I'm just telling you right now, it's stolen. Like, that's how this works. People aren't going to the, you know, well, they're not going to the pawn shop and buying this stuff. They're buying it online or they're buying it from you know, local uh, online marketplaces where people are posting these goods um, and then, you know, their neighbors are turning around and buying them. And it's um, it's it's sort of the new black market. And Christians are probably unwittingly participating. And that's one of the reasons we're talking about it today. And these organized crimes uh, syndicates, once they get the money from the fences, they are using that money to fund other more nefarious activities like drug dealing, sex trafficking, and that kind of thing. So you really do not want to be a part of this, like Carmen said. Um, all right. So um, we've talked about the fact that these are not petty crimes. We're talking about huge, um, you know, huge valuation over a year. I suspect that there are some people, um, Bill, who are asking themselves, hey, you know, where would Bill point in the scriptures in terms of reference points for this? You know, is, is stealing really wrong? Well, it's one of the Ten Commandments. That isn't in our notes, show notes this morning, but it is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. Um, that's that's in Exodus 20. Um, <clears throat> Romans 13, 9, and 10 uh, says this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. There's a there's a stark contrast here that Paul gives us in Romans 13, where stealing is really hatred, and, and I know that's a strong word, and I get that, but it's really a, at least at a minimum a heart devoid of any love, and uh, loving your neighbor cannot steal. So you cannot steal from your neighbor and love your neighbor at the same time. It's 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 impossible to do that. Stealing comes from a corrupt heart, void of love for their neighbor and, frankly, love for God. Amen. Amen. All right, Bill, let's take a very brief break. Um, when we come back, we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation, but I'm also going to ask you about, you know, what inflation does to my savings. Um, okay. I went to the grocery store yesterday, and my regular um, cart of groceries cost me almost twice as much as what I ordinarily spend, which means yep. that I'm either going to have less to spend on other things like gifts for Christmas, 
or I'm going to put less into my savings. And then I want to ask, like, how does inflation affect the savings I already have? Like, aren't they actually of less value? So don't I really need to save more? You see my challenge, right? I'm going to let you I work me out challenge. of this. I... Yeah. I'm going to let you work me out of this conundrum in just a moment. Bill English on Carmen's Conundrum next. to give uh, 30 seconds of attention to the text line this morning. Um, thank you for each and every one of you texting in right now. Uh, Jeff, thank you for the pictures of the beautiful snowy scene at your house. I love that. I love to see the snow on the ground. Um, no snow on the ground where I live. Uh, we have a friend in the 319 area code, so somebody in or around Waterloo. Yes, probably. I don't know. You can text me back and tell me where you really are, 319 person. Um, This person says, hey, I bought my own unique stolen watch back from an online store. Uh, I was searching for a replacement online and actually found my own watch. Okay, that's extraordinary. That's totally. (laughs) Hey, you can text me. Uh, You can text me at 877-933-2484. Always appreciate the exchange there. All right, um, Bill, my, uh, my personal conundrum. I have to spend more because things cost more, I, and yes. so I'm spending more on regular things. Yes. Um, and that means that I don't have as much money to spend on gifts, and I eat or I don't put as much into savings, and I don't think my savings are worth as much because of inflation. Help me. Uh, there's not a lot of help for you, uh, you know. Uh, there's no help for Carmen. That's going to be the headline of the day coming out of the show. You know, Bill. In, in the words – <laughs> Says there's no help for Carmen. In the words of Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. Um, look, uh, inflation uh, comes because we have too many dollars chasing too few goods. And there's a technical mm. term for this idea that the more we spend, the more we can get inflation under control. And that technical term is bunk. Um, we are simply spending too much at the at the government layer. And we are not increasing the number of goods and services and productivity commensurately. And so that's why we are starting to experience inflation. This is not a Democrat problem. It's not a Republican problem. It doesn't really matter who the president is or who's in charge of Congress. This is a long-term trajectory over the last 10 to 15 years that is leading to this. Plus, it's also the Fed having an incredibly uh, cheap money supply issue. And the Fed is going to have to, at some point, raise interest rates um, we have a, a confluence of, of issues or um, of decisions, I should say, that are coming at us that none of us really control. Inflation takes away the value of the dollar, so it takes more dollars to buy the same goods. And so your savings is going to devalue. Numerically, number-wise, your savings might actually go up. You might go, I'll just use a number here, from 1000 to $1,200. But that $1,200 may only buy $800 worth of goods and services, say, compared to two or three years ago or four years ago. So uh, you, there's really not a lot you can do here. Um, I, was, I was having lunch, interestingly enough, with a financial planner yesterday who I'm starting to get to know. And uh, she and I were talking about this very issue. And I said, you know, in financial planning, I don't know what you do to help preserve the buying power of somebody's savings when inflation really starts to ramp up. And she said, I, there isn't anything I can do. There, there, there just isn't a whole lot of levers to pull or bu- buttons to push. Now, there might be people out there right now in the financial planning world who are throwing bricks at their radio right now. 
Um, and maybe they want to text you and say, no, there are things you can do, and I would love to hear it. But inflation is a tax on everybody, and it, it is a devaluation of one's savings, and it makes life very, very difficult. And I, I really don't know what to do about it other than to slow down the government spending. Mm-hmm. Which is only going to accelerate if and when, which according to Chuck Schumer, you know, before Christmas, the Build Back Better plan, uh, the next multi-trillion dollar spending plan, uh, you know, before Christmas, they're going to pass that. And, and so actually government spending is not going to decrease, but you know, it's gonna, they're going to hit the accelerator again. I, I just, it's, yeah, a little yeah, bit mind, it's a little bit mind boggling. It is. And there it's actually not the spending per se. It is the fact that they have to increase the money supply as they borrow to uh, to do the spending. So this this money that they're going to spend is not money that we have. We either have to print it or we have to create it out of thin air, electronic money. But the point is, is we have to increase the money supply. I mean, when you look at the Fed's balance sheet back in 2007, it was below a, tr a trillion dollars. I think it was like 700 or 800 um, I'm sorry, seven or eight hundred million dollars. Today, the the balance sheet is somewhere around five or five and a half trillion. I'm going from memory here, from reading I've done in the past weeks. So I, I I'm kind of on the fly here with my details, but I'm directionally correct. The Fed's balance sheet has increased exponentially, which has increased exponentially the money supply in our in our uh, economy, and that's the real problem. Hmm. And look, the only way to the only way to solve this is for the feds to put the brakes on the money supply, to raise the interest rates, and for the federal government to start living within its means and only spending what it actually brings in. Problem is that's going to create a lot of pain. And as Joe mm -hmm. Biden said recently, people like free money, right? I mean, he actually said that. And so he knows that by giving away free money and by spending more than what we have, he can get reelected. And that conflict of interest, Carmen of politicians doing what people want them to do rather than what rather than saying no to people when it's best for politicians to say no so that they can get reelected is a real problem in our in our society and and it's a real problem in our form of government I wouldn't hire a nanny who was unwilling to tell my children no and so why am I willing to empower a nanny state that never tells its proverbial children no like right i, I just we're hiring the wrong right. we're hiring the wrong people i mean if we want a nanny state we at least want a nanny state that teaches us discipline I, and which well, but, clearly not the one we've started yeah but let's let's say the government came along i, I know it's 725 here but let's say the government <laughs> came along and said you know what we're going to end the tax deduction on mortgage interest you know that's a mm -hmm. how many of us would like that that would that would be taking away money i would not us. like that no of course i would not like that yeah. Mm -hmm. And so everybody likes something free from the government. The question is, how do we handle this? Because as a society, we're more and more expecting more and more free stuff from the government. And this is not good. Free stuff's not free. There you go. Bill English go. said it here. He didn't really say that. He really said there was no help for Carmen. That's what he said. That's what you should remember. There's That's what you should tweet him about. <laughs> That's totally what you should tweet him about today. All right. Um, Bill English, we love you. <laughs> Love so too, it's always so good to be with you. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. Take care. All right. Uh, 
Listener Scott lamenting this morning that his church does not observe Advent as a part of its liturgical rhythm. So I reminded him, which by the way, you know, I I do chat you up on the text line when you text me at 877-933-2484. And so I reminded Scott that every church is liturgical, just not the same liturgy. And I suggested that he could have his own Advent liturgy at home. That's actually what we do. We have an Advent calendar uh, it is out. We have an Advent devotional. I've already shared with you. We're using Susie Larson's um, uh, devotional this year. We are working our way through uh, the Gospel of Luke. We have four candles in a wreath. Um, and in the middle of that wreath, over the course of Advent, we're going to add the characters. Like, you know, you think of the crash or the nativity scene coming together over time. So as we come to a particular character's story, we're going to add them. Uh, into, you know, the wreath. And eventually we'll have, you know, the whole deal, right? On Christmas Eve, we will light the Christ candle, which for us is a big candle with three wicks because we like to remember the Trinity. What are your family traditions? What um, what are you building into the next generation? Not just in relationship to Christmas, but all year round. Trudy Kathy White, daughter of Chick-fil-A founders, um, Truett Kathy, uh, we'll, she's going to be here in just a moment. She is uh, going to talk with us about creating core family values. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. With the passing of years, Henry's life had changed. His children were grown. The neighborhood was different. He was unhappy. He asked his minister if he was unhappy for some sin he had committed. Yes, the wise pastor replied, the sin of ignorance. One of your neighbors is the Messiah in disguise, and you have not seen him. With time, Henry saw things in people he had never seen. When others spoke, he listened. After all, he might be listening to the Messiah. The bounce returned to his step. His eyes took on a friendly sparkle. He said, all I know is that things changed when I started looking for God. Now that's curious. The old man saw Jesus because he didn't know what he looked like. (laughs) The people in Jesus' day missed him because they thought they did. How are things looking in your neighborhood? This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Trudy Kathy White. You can follow her on Instagram. That's probably the best place to connect with her. She's the only daughter of Jeanette and Truett Kathy. You know um, his name from Chick-fil-A. So Trudy is a Chick-fil-A ambassador. We're going to ask her about that. She and her husband, John, served as missionaries in Brazil later co-founded LifeShape, and one of my favorite ministries, Impact 360 Institute. She's the mother of four. She is known as Mimi by her 15 grandchildren. And so, Trudy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Oh, it is great to have you here. So many of us have, as a part of our um, childhood memories, like we, it was only in Atlanta. Like it, only if you were flying in and out of Atlanta, could you get a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Like you had to, it was a, you know, you had to go there. It was destination eating. And now, you know, it's a little, it's kind of ubiquitous. There are Chick-fil-A's popping up everywhere uh, for which we are incredibly grateful. We finally have one within one exit on the interstate of where I live. 
Um, and so when you think about the the growth of Chick-fil-A and you think of the exposure that has given your family and the opportunities it has created for your family, maybe just reflect for a moment um, on the generational impact of of that of that business, of a family business and and how that your family values are reflected in all of that. This is sort of a Chick-fil-A ambassador question to lead off with. Yeah, that, that, that's great. I really kind of go back to my roots of a mom and dad who loved the Lord. And I think one of the greatest biblical principles that they taught us from the time we were quite young, I'm the youngest in the family with two brothers. So there are three children in the family. And when we were growing up, I remember so many times my parents would remind us that God owns it all. So even mm-hmm. as this family, as this family business began and and, and grew, uh, there was that constant reminder: this is really not our business. It belongs to the, to, to the Lord. In fact, every time we open up a Chick Fil A store, we have a dedication dinner. So we bring our team members together and their families, and we remind them that this business belongs to the Lord. The reason we're in business is to glorify Him by being a faithful steward of all that He's given to us, and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick Fil A. So that is the root of, of who we are and the root of what we want to do is glorify God with what we have, because for all of us, you know, God owns everything and he's asked us to really steward it really well, whether it's our time, our talent, our resources, or even our opportunity of influence. So in your family, um, you know, recognizing that your precious mom and dad went to be with the Lord in 24 and 2015, respectively, if my memory serves me right. Um, You are, you know, the second generation. Your kids are, you know, G3. You guys are already to G4. Um, When we think about family and when we think about the way the most important thing is transmitted generation to generation, for Christians, that would be the faith. Talk with us about um, your family, the practices generation to generation in your family, uh, and, you know, how how the most important legacy in your family really is this generational legacy of faith? Yeah, well, I think think one of the first questions you have to ask yourself is, you know, what what matters most in life? So that's an important question for all of us to, to, to think about. And whatever things kind of surface out of that question uh, really probably will help us identify what are our values that tend to govern our lives. So we know that our beliefs always drive behavior. So in our family, we talk a lot about with our children. Now we have an adult, you know, our children are grown. We have grandchildren coming up. So we talk to our grandchildren about what's important to them. Uh, what is it that's governing or driving um, their, their behaviors in life? I think it's so important that we realize as parents, as grandparents, as, uh, as an older generation looking to the younger generation is, you know, what, what we're modeling for our children. Uh, so many things that we do are caught rather than taught. And so modeling the ideas of honesty and responsibility and making good decisions. You know, so we model it, first of all, for them. But I think every every young person has to make a decision for themselves what's important for them in their life and how they live it out. And of course, for us, our family, our Christian faith is is key value to us. Uh, everything that we every decision we make is really filtered through that that value of, of Christian faith, for sure. In, in John and my life, my husband and I's life, our values are, are faith, family, integrity, generosity, and gratitude. Those are kind of the five values that we focus on, and we try to make those important. And we kind of got our schedule and our, our, our decisions, things that we do, are based around those values in our life. 
So let's dig a little further into that. And again, um, we are talking with Trudy Kathy White. You can um, you can find her online at trudycathywhite.com. You can also find her on Instagram and Facebook. Um, let's talk about faith, family, integrity, generosity, and gratitude. How, um, like, how do you, let's use schedule as an example. When you say, right. hey, those are reflected in our schedule, what, what does that yeah. look like and mean? Well, so if, if I say family is important to me, then something in my calendar ought to indicate that I am investing time into the family. So John and I do a lot of investment just in our own marriage. And that flows out over to our children and then into our grandchildren. So it's really important that the values that you identify for yourselves, people notice those in you and that they're in sync with what you're saying your values are. If you say family is important, but you don't invest time into your family, then obviously there's a little disconnect disconnect there. So I think that's how it kind of kind of plays out in terms of gratitude, uh, learning how to be grateful for what you have, expressing gratitude to the Lord, to other people? And does that, what does that look like in my day-to-day walk? How did that, that particular value play out in things that I do? I'm actually grateful to be on the radio with you today. I'm actually very honored. And, and so to be able to express that and to know that uh, gratitude is important to me to, to, to be thankful for the things that God has given me and for the opportunities he's given me as well. Okay, when we come back from a very brief break, um, let's talk about gratitude. Let's talk a little bit more about cultivating gratitude. And then I really, I I absolutely want to know about this Christmas Eve tradition you have in your family related to swaddling clothes. Can we, um, can we talk about that next? All right. We are talking with Trudy Kathy White. You can find her online at TrudyKathyWhite.com. We'll be right back. All right. Continuing our conversation with Trudy Kathy White, you can find her online at trudycathywhite.com. Let's talk about um, let's talk about gratitude. We have just um, experienced Thanksgiving. Uh, wondering maybe if there's a Thanksgiving tradition you want to talk about, or just you know gratitude in general. How do we transmit that generation to generation? You know, how it happened for me was watching my mom and dad being so grateful, particularly my mom. I spent a lot of time with my mother in her later years of life. And I remember particularly one time we were in the car, I was taking her to a doctor's appointment. And while I was driving her there, she looked up and she saw the beautiful clouds and she actually talked out loud to the Lord. And she said, Father, thank you for these beautiful clouds you have put in the sky for us to enjoy on our way into the city of Atlanta. And it kind of caught me by surprise because I was thinking there's not too often that I take time just to stop and look up and thank the (laughs) Lord for the beauty around me. And I I just appreciated that so much. And I've tried to be a little bit more intentional with my gratitude to the Lord for things that he has given us. You know, Carmen, we used to live overseas in Brazil, and there's nothing that will make you more thankful for what we have here in our country of America than to go overseas and see how other people live. And it makes you appreciate the, the just the conveniences that we have, but the beauty that the Lord has given us just in his creation alone is something we can be grateful for. 
And when I thought about this idea of gratitude, I, I remembered that there were people that would tell me every time I go past the Chick-fil-A store, I pray for you guys and your family. And I mm. thought, wow, that's really, that's really awesome. And I, and, and I, so I started kind of using things that will trigger gratitude into my life. Now, this is going to be a really kind of simple example, but Ziploc bags are something we probably all use almost every day in some shape, form or fashion. And when we were living in Brazil, you couldn't get Ziploc bags. And I remember coming back to the States and thinking, man, these things are awesome. Mm-hmm. And so even to this day, every time I pull out a Ziploc bag. I thank the Lord for things like that are convenient that we use here uh, in the States. And I, I just say thank you, Lord, for, uh, for for just the little things that make life so much easier for us. So I think just developing a habit of being grateful, not only to the Lord for things, but to other people. And, and for me, I think it, gratitude is, is a way of acknowledging our dependency on the Lord. So I, I just love that thought. I will share that when I was young, my father used to tell me, Actually, I think I was a teenager. My dad would say, Trudy, if you'll help other help other people get what they want in life, you'll eventually get what you want out of life. I think what my dad was trying to help me understand is, Trudy, life is not all about you. And you need to look, what are the needs that are in the, what are, what are other people needing in life? And how can you help meet those needs? And how can God use you in that way? And so when I feel like I'm not very, very grateful, I try to reach out and help other people. Then all of a sudden I realize my problems probably aren't quite as bad as the other person. And, and maybe I can be of help and be grateful for what I have. Cultivating an attitude of gratitude. I mean, simply using um, things in our everyday environment as reminders to pray for people. I mean, I, I will acknowledge that uh, during the time that the, um, that the Green family was in court related to um, you know, the public expression of their faith uh, as the owners of Hobby Lobby. Every time I drove by my Hobby Lobby, I prayed for them. It didn't, it, I will just confess, it hasn't occurred to me until just now, because you've said it, to, you know, to pray for um, your family every time I pass a Chick-fil-A. That's not going to be hard for me because I take note every time, particularly right now, like the peppermint shake. Like, I don't even yeah. know. It's like, it's like, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's, you know, only because I can't get the peach shake right now. So there you go. I mean, that's, I love that. So I just love that there are some things um, we in our family have a, have a Chick-fil-A joke. I mean, maybe everybody does. I mean, I, maybe, maybe everybody has like their, you know, I, I can't resist that cow. When there's a cow, there's a person in a costume, in a cow costume at a Chick-fil-A with a sign. Like, I, it is impossible for me to resist pulling over and taking a picture. Like, I just, I am that person. So just, just to find it, it just delights my heart. Um, It delights me that your mom loved to look at the clouds. When you said that, um, you know, one of the things that occurred to me is my grandkids love to do that. They, mm-hmm. they are looking out the window when we're driving, right? And they are looking at the clouds. I'm looking at the road. They're looking at the yeah. clouds. And, you know, and they will say, do you see that, you know, such and such? And I'm thinking, I can't turn my head to look, right? I cannot look aside to the burning bush. I must, yeah. I must proceed on the path that I am on to whatever important destination. Um, maybe every once in a while I should just pull over and let them point out the cloud that they're looking at. Like, like there should be a little more pause and rest when I'm learning from those around me about the gratitude for the gifts that God gives, even those that are disappearing in the moment, you know, because they're clouds. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's Psalm 121 that says, I will lift up my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the God who made heaven and earth. And just a reminder to to pause, like you said, and and look up and be grateful. Hmm. I love that. All right. We have to talk about um, the the Christmas Eve tradition of (laughs) swaddling clothes. What what's going on there? 
Yeah, this was a tradition that started years ago when our children were quite young. Uh, our son, John John, he always wanted to open a Christmas gift early. He could, couldn't stand that there was a <laughs> present under the tree. And he would say, Mom, can we open, you know, like on Christmas Eve? And I said, no, son, we have to wait till Christmas morning to open gifts. And then finally, I had this idea. I thought, well, maybe I can come up with a gift they can open up. So I, I bought pajamas, just simple pajamas for each of the children, wrapped them up, and had them open up on Christmas Eve, but I called them their swaddling clothes, and we would sit down and read the Christmas story together, and we talk about how Mary wrapped baby Jesus in swaddling clothes, the Bible says, you know, and we talk about, I tell them about how precious it was when they came into our family. I talk about their birth, where they were born, what the circumstances were around it, and how we rejoiced, and them being a part of the family, and even when siblings began to come in, so we just kind of go back every year and talk about it, so we have done swaddling clothes Oh my goodness, probably for, well, a good 35 probably years, but our children are grown now and all of our children and grandchildren, we all get lookalike pajamas. We you know, have all that, but we always get them on Christmas Eve night, whatever night is Christmas Eve. Now, because our family's grown a lot, we aren't necessarily together on the 24th. So whenever we designate a Christmas Eve night, then we all get together. I give them their swaddling clothes. We talk about um, the significance of them being a part of the family. So it's a, it's a very um, it's a great time to really have some deep conversation with our family. Then we all put our swaddling clothes on and take a picture by the, by the tree, like a lot of families do, but we just call it swaddling clothes and to make a difference to help them understand that just as Jesus came into the world, wow, he sent them into the world and God wants to use all of us to make a difference in the lives of people around us. So we just try to encourage and empower them uh, with, um, with some, a, a blessing, so to speak, uh, to know that God made them who they are and uh, that we want to encourage them to be all that God created them to be. All right. I'm scrolling your Instagram feed and I don't see a picture in the pajamas. So I'm of course now going to be looking for that this year. It will be, it will be there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You guys can find Trudy Kathy White at TrudyKathyWhite.com. She's active on Instagram um, and Facebook as well. What a delight to um, have the privilege of talking with you today. Um, Thank you for the very public witness of your family across generations. Um, thank you personally for Impact 360 Institute. That is one of my favorite ministries out there in the world. Um, thank you for not only being a Chick-fil-A ambassador, but for being a genuine ambassador of the kingdom um, of our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a kingdom ambassador in, in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. We, we genuinely appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Carmen, so very, very much. And thank you for this time. I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Very Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. <laughs> Where the people oh, Paul, you're too good. You're oh, sorry. You go. You're just too good. You're too good. <laughs> Um, okay, so so many um, things to be paying attention to today. Um, so let's be sure that we are first and foremost turning our attention in a concerted way to the Lord our God. I mean, you and I are going to get out there into the world that God so loves, and we are going to um, be expected to represent Christ. And in order to do that, we're going to have to spend time with him. We're going to have to know him. And so let me encourage you uh, to to be sure you get your time with Jesus today. 
there are lots of headlines that um, require, you know, our not only our attention, but our ability to interpret to others or deal with conversationally with others. And so, you know, I am very aware, as you are, of the mass shooting at a high school in Oxford, Michigan. I am aware of the shooting in Tennessee. I am aware of the shooting in Atlanta. I am aware that the city of Chicago or Cook County, where the city of Chicago is located, surpassed a, a thousand homicides yesterday. We live in a violent culture. Let's be sure we're praying today for each and every one of those families. Let's be um, praying for first responders. Let's be praying for the people who carried out these, um, these crimes against others. Let's pray for the churches in each of these communities. Let's pray for revival in our land. Let's talk with our kids. Let's connect with our schools and our local police and churches in our communities. Let's recognize the depth of the brokenness in the world, and let's also recognize the power of the gospel to redeem, transform, and make new. I am continuing in prayer with those I love in the world who are struggling today. I'm praying for you. I count on your prayers for me and mine. Um, Let's be a people who mark today as a day of prayer on this 1st of December. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.